please uh, turn your Bibles to Amos chapter 7. And if you're looking for a page number, because Amos is one of those books that tends to hide, it's uh, 922 in the church Bibles, Amos chapter 7, beginning of verse 1, page 922 in the church Bibles, 922. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen the Lord said. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to, a, to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I'll spare them no longer. The high place of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, but this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and don't prophesy there and do your prophecy there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. And this is God's word to us. It's hard, it's uncompromising, 
Our God is an untamable lion. And that's why it's so good to know him, because we don't need a God who's weak. We need a God who's mighty and a God who is just and a God who is awesome. And so in a moment, Sam's going to bring us face to face again with our untamable God. Good evening. It's good to be with you all in person. Last time I did this, it was on Zoom. It's a bit miserable, really. You can't see any faces. But uh, good to be with you tonight. So we're going to be uh, having a think about the book of Amos tonight, uh, Amos chapter 7. And we're going to be having a think about uh, rejection. Uh, what does it look like to be rejected? How do we respond to rejection? What do we do when people reject our words and our actions? You may have noticed that rejection is a fairly uh, normal bit of our society at the moment. Uh, it seems that not uh, many weeks go by before someone is in the headlines for saying something uh, that is apparently offensive, and as a result, they've been rejected by uh, uh, society, or maybe people on social media have uh, rejected them. You may remember, uh, I think it was two years ago, that uh, J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, she said some things on Twitter uh, that were um, apparently quite offensive, and actually, uh, there was a huge backlash to what she said. Um, she had a number of speaking engagements cancelled, uh, and she was condemned by many uh, in the mainstream media. So her statements were so offensive that there was no need for debate. They, they were just wrong, and so she was cancelled. That's, that's the modern word. Um, now, you may not have been cancelled like J.K. Rowling has, um, but you've probably at some point faced some sort of rejection for, for what you say. In fact, if we're Christians, then the Bible says it's inevitable that at some point we're going to face rejection for uh, what we say and who we are. Jesus tells us that many people are going to believe that the good news, or believe the gospel, but many people are going to reject it. And as we're going to see in Amos tonight, that rejecting the message often leads to rejecting the messenger. So rejecting the message leads to rejecting the messenger. But of course, that leads to the question, what is the message that is being rejected? Well, uh, verses 1 to 9 in Amos, uh, of Amos chapter 7, are going to help unpack what the message is. So, so do get uh, Amos chapter 7 open in front of you. Uh, we're going to see uh, what, uh, what the message is, but, but so far in Amos, uh, we've seen that uh, the man is pronouncing judgment on the people of God. We remember that Amos is from the, the southern kingdom, Judah, but he's sent up to the northern kingdom of Israel uh, to prophesy there. And actually, in the first two chapters, he's spending uh, the first two uh, condemning the people around Israel. So he, uh, he condemns uh, Damascus and, and Gaza and, and Edom and Tyre. And he says, I will not relent from punishing. I will not relent. And then I will not relent from punishing Judah, and then finally the, the kind of crosshairs narrow on Israel. I will not relent from punishing Israel. And then we get four chapters of just that, of God pouring out his judgment on the people of Israel. And he condemns their sin. Three particular thing, things he condemns. He condemns their sin of idolatry, how they worship 
things that aren't God, pagan gods they've, they've kind of stolen from the surrounding nations. He uh, accuses them of false religion, of pretending to worship the true God, but actually they're not really worshipping God. Their hearts are not worshipful. And he also condemns quite specifically the fact they've abandoned the poor. So Israel at this time are really prosperous. They'd actually done really well. There are no kind of um, big superpowers on the scene, really, which has kind of left space for, for little Israel to actually do quite well for itself. And, and economically, they're, they're kind of thriving. But actually, that has led to uh, wealth and to abandoning the poor. And God condemns that really strongly. And now we get to chapter 7. And there's a change. There's a change from uh, words to, uh, to visions. We get these uh, prophetic pictures. And God gives Amos uh, five visions. We're going to look at the first three tonight. Uh, the next uh, two come in, in, in chapters eight and nine. But, but these visions give us um, a kind of different perspective on Amos's message uh, from um, the first few chapters. Uh, so far, God has said that there's judgment and it's, and it's going to come. And now these visions are more like there's judgment and, it, and it's here. There's a kind of sense of it's really getting very close now. So first vision, uh, if you look down at verse one, is a plague of locusts. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. So picture the scene. You're a, a hardworking uh, farmer in, in Israel. In fact, most people would have been farmers because they're just farming uh, the food for themselves. And you've spent all year working hard. You've plowed, uh, you've scattered uh, the seed, you've prayed to God for rain, and you waited for the harvest. Now, Amos tells us that this occurs after the first harvest, which, which seems to be a kind of tax. So they've, they've done the hard work. They've done the first lot of harvesting. They've, they've paid their taxes, the kind of income tax. Uh, and then all that is left is for them to, uh, to enjoy and for them to eat for the, the rest of the year. And then you hear it as a, a kind of hum of noise, maybe in the distance as a kind of black cloud, a swarm of locusts. Locusts will eat everything. They will come and they will completely decimate an entire field of crops. No food. And so every living thing dies. You and your family and your livestock, it's total destruction. And Amos sees this as uh, God's judgment on Israel. But how does Amos respond? Well, Amos gets on his knees and he pleads with God, doesn't he, to spare the people of Israel. He cries out, Sovereign Lord, forgive how can Jacob survive? He's so small. Please, God, do not bring this terrifying judgment on Israel. Notice as well what he, he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, that seems a bit harsh. They're not that bad. I mean, they're not, they're not Moab we're talking about here. I mean, complete destruction. Amos knows, doesn't he, exactly how sinful these people are. He knows they've rejected God, they've turned to idols, they've abandoned the poor, 
And so Amos asked God, please don't judge them as their sins deserve. He cries out to God for mercy. How do we respond to the uh, fact of God's judgment on those around us? I wonder, does it drive us to our, our knees? Do, do we feel the burden on responsibility to, to pray for people? Amos stands in the gap, doesn't he? between God and God's holiness, God's got a perfect law, and there's a sinful people rebelling against God. Amos stands in the gap and he pleads. And incredibly, and this, this really should shock us, God hears Amos's prayer and God answers it positively. God uh, relents from sending his judgment in verse three god really does listen to those who fear him and somehow the, the sovereign lord that the creator of the uh, everything in the entire universe listens to his creation now god is not like us he doesn't kind of uh get new information and so feel a need to uh, to change his mind about something he, he's not um kind of pondering umming and ahhing um and scripture tells us really clearly that god does not change and yet the mystery here is that god really does listen god acts because of amos's prayer he, he responds to amos we have an awesome God, don't we, who actually listens to our prayers. And if we know elsewhere in Scripture, God actually wants to hear our prayers. Amos shows us how do we um, intercede, act for a, a sinful people. He humbly and he boldly asks God to forgive the sins of these people. Well, that's uh, first vision uh, of locusts, and then we get a second vision. Uh, so the first one's kind of an aerial assault from the sky, uh, and now we get uh, an assault from below. So verse four, the sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. We might be able to kind of get our heads around what a, um, what a swarm of locusts might look like. But this idea of fire kind of drying up the whole sea from the kind of bottom up, I mean, we can't really visualize that. It's kind of like a bad dream, isn't it? It's something like from, from Revelation. It's, it's apocalyptic. But this is God's judgment. No one survives this uh, attack of fire. But, but God's not just being grumpy and kind of having a tantrum and throwing his toys out of the pram. This is what we all deserve, isn't it? This is how the Bible describes hell. This is God's judgment on rebellious people. And yet Amos responds in the same way, doesn't he? He gets on his knees, God, please forgive them. And God responds again, this will not happen either. God uh, again refrains from judging these people 
So there's, there's grace and there's mercy here. The third vision is a little bit different, isn't it? Verse 7 says, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. A plumb line is um, kind of a metal weight on the end of a bit of string. Uh, and if you are building something, you're building a wall, uh, then you could hold it up. Uh, and this kind of vertical line, this true vertical line, is going to help you to uh, build the wall uh, nice and straight, um, kind of like a, a spirit level um, today. And to kind of make this point about uh, straight walls, there is a wall in this vision as well. Um, and it's been built nice and straight using this plumb line. What does, what does this mean? It's, it's a little bit strange. Well, verse 8 kind of helps unpack it for us. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. So the Lord has measured the people and they've not come up to the mark. God is uh, kind of like a, a foreman at, at a building site and Israel have, have built this wall, but they've built it all wonky. It's kind of leaning carapes, it's kind of completely going off at an angle. And God gets out his plumb line and says, that's, that's not straight. That's not up to standard at all. That's wrong. A wonky wall is, is not good enough. It, it does not meet God's standards. And God is, is making a point. These people do not meet the standards. They deserve judgment. But you may have noticed that um, Amos doesn't pray like he does um, the first times. And I think that's because um, God has kind of come with this uh, sense of judgment. That God has declared what is, what is true, that these people have missed the mark. And there's nothing more to say. Imagine a, a high court hearing and uh, you're in the dock uh, and the, the judge comes and he, he declares the verdict guilty. You are guilty. Well, the judge has spoken. There's no point kind of arguing back. Um, we can't say, mm, do you want to think again about that? God has, God has spoken. What is the sentence for the crime in uh, verse uh, nine, it tells us the high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined with my sword. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. So God promises that he's going to tear down these idolatrous shrines. He's going to knock over the temples. He's going to destroy them. All these uh, places where they were worshipping God wrongly, they're worshipping idols. And God says, no, I'm going to put an end to that. I'm going to knock them down. He also promises to, uh, to end the, the ruling dynasty. So the line of kings of, uh, under King Jeroboam, who was, who was the ruler at the time, God says, I'm going to put an end to that. So God is going to judge the people for their sin, just as he said he would. Uh, I think it's really important to remember that, that God's not, he's not making it up as he goes along. Um, this isn't a kind of arbitrary punishment he, he thought might, might be about right. Um, it's really important in scripture that God speaks and then God acts. And we see that God has already spoken the judgment that would happen. 
if the people rejected him. And, and that's what the law is for. So if we look up uh, uh, Leviticus 26, you don't, you don't have to look it up. Uh, in verse 30, uh, God says this, I will destroy your high places. This is the punishment for when uh, Israel reject God. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and pile your lifeless bodies, the lifeless forms, your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. So God is always fair. He's laid down the straight line of his law, and he punishes fairly when we overstep it. And these people knew the standard. They'd had this at the book of Leviticus for generations. They knew what happened, and they've had prophets before who told them, if you do not repent, God will punish you. God will take you into exile. And yet they've still decided to reject it. So we've seen uh, in Amos, um, in this chapter, uh, there's a change from this kind of coming far off judgment. And God uh, kind of now is, is, is saying it, it's imminent. So God has declared the people guilty. He's, he's made his, uh, he's measured them up and he's found them guilty. That's, that's the message. But, but what about the messenger? What about Amos in all of this? Well, uh, Amos has been uh, spending his time uh, roaming around um, Israel, uh, and he's been bringing this news of judgment, and he hasn't gone unnoticed, unsurprisingly. And specifically, there's a priest called Amaziah who we meet. Amaziah is priest in the temple at Bethel, and Bethel is one of the capital cities of Israel. It's one of the key religious centers for uh, the people. Now, remember that the, uh, the northern kingdom has been cut off from the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem, where the kind of original temple is, that's in the south, that's in Judah. And so in the north, they've had to kind of set up alternative uh, worship sites, and, and supposedly they were for worshipping God. But as we've seen in Amos, um, they've actually been used for worshipping other gods. And Amaziah the priest is the man in charge at Bethel. And that's why he's not very happy when he hears of Amos's prophecy and Amos's news of judgment. It's because Amaziah isn't really concerned with God. We'll see later, he's actually more concerned with what the king thinks of him than what God thinks of him. So he's kind of like a, like a false priest. He, he's not really there to, uh, to really be a priest as, as God intended. He's not interested in worshipping God. And he accuses Amos of uh, conspiracy against the king, of threatening to bring down King Jeroboam. He kind of accuses him of treason. But that's not actually what Amos has said, is it? Amos has been said, saying that uh, judgment will come on these unrepentant people and therefore on an unrepentant king. He's not making a kind of political point here. Um, but Amaziah does not want to hear that. The messenger is rejected because of the message. We might say, using modern language, that he's been cancelled because he gets kicked out of Bethel and he's told he can't speak there anymore. Get out, you seer, in verse 12. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. So Amaziah 
he's just misunderstood God's message. He hasn't got it. He thinks Amos is making a political point. He accuses Amos of being in it for the money. He says, go earn your bread there, kind of earn your wages down south. He doesn't care about God's warning. He cares more about what the king thinks of him. And he doesn't want Amos's negative news of judgment. That is not welcome. There's something quite ironic here because Amos is the one who's just been on his knees before God saying, God, please spare these people, these rebellious, sinful people. And Amaziah says, no, we don't want any of that. None of that. Too negative. Get out. He's quite misunderstood, isn't he, Amos? Amaziah doesn't get him at all. Perhaps this uh, experience is a little bit familiar uh, to you as well. Perhaps you've been telling people about the good news of Jesus, and they just mishear you. You know, when people just misunderstand what you're on about, they just don't get it at all. Perhaps you've been trying to uh, lovingly and gently explain to a family member about uh, God's plan for, for marriage and sexuality. And you've been accused of, of hatred or bigotry or, or something like that. Maybe you've been patiently uh, trying to communicate with a, with a colleague at work about, about your faith, and you've been explaining what you believe, but they just don't get it, and they kind of think it's fairly irrelevant. How do we respond when, when people do that? How does Amos respond? Well, Amos uh, doesn't get angry, and he, he's not being rude here. He, he's, he's just explaining himself, and he's explaining what God has called him to be. In verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. He's really humble, isn't he? He's not saying, look at me, I'm some sort of career prophet, you really ought to listen to me. Amos isn't that at all. He's not in it for the money. He's not in it for uh, the fame or, or the status. He's not a prophet because his dad put in a good word for him. He's not a prophet uh, for any other reason than because God called him to be a prophet. Previously, he'd been minding his own business as a shepherd and doing a bit of fig farming on the side. Nothing to do with prophecy, but now God has called him to stand in front of the highest religious authority in the land and telling him, you need to listen to the word of God. He's not chosen because he was important. But, Amos, but God knew that Amos would faithfully proclaim the word of God to the people of Israel. And that's exactly what Amos does in verse 16. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. And stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. And your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile. Away from their native land. Amos draws a comparison between uh, Amaziah's words and God's words. Amaziah says, go away, go home. But God has said, go prophesy. 
who does Amos listen to? Well, he, Amos listens to Amaziah and he's heard his complaint, but Amos's priority is God and God's word, isn't it? And he proclaims the word of the Lord as he's been called to. He delivers this uh, message to Amaziah and his family, this damning judgment. He, uh, there's a judgment on Amaziah's wife and Amaziah's kids and Amaziah's land, which is going to be taken away from him. His wife is going to be forced to be a prostitute because she can't provide for herself any other way. His kids will die. And finally, he's going to be exiled. He's going to be carted off into uh, another land. And God's message will come to pass. God will be proven right. Of course he will. In fact, we know from uh, other books in the Bible that people do not repent and that God does bring about his judgment. In fact, just uh, a few years later, uh, the Assyrians uh, up in the north get really powerful and they wipe out the whole of Israel. They come, they cart a load of people off into exile. They do tear down all these shrines. They burn stuff to the ground. Amos isn't the last of God's prophets to be rejected, of course. And we see actually all the way through the prophets when you read them that they're constantly being rejected, that they proclaim God's word and the people say, no, we don't want to listen. And the kings and, and, and other people say, no, no, none of that's too negative. We don't want to hear it. And they all point us, don't they, towards uh, the greatest prophet, to someone who came to a people who did not receive him. Someone who came with a message that the people needed to hear but the religious establishment said no and turned him away. And eventually they killed him. It's Jesus, isn't it? Who's uh, the perfect example of a messenger who's rejected because of his message. Jesus comes to declare good news about God. The time has come, he says, as in Mark 1. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And some people do believe the good news. And some people reject it. How do we respond when, when we are rejected or, or when our message is, is rejected? When people say no or, or when they, they twist it and distort it as Amaziah does. I think there are, there are two dangers, two kind of pitfalls we can, we can fall into. And we need to walk a narrow path in between them. So, so one thing we can do is we can get really angry and frustrated. And it, it's easy, isn't it, to get frustrated uh, when, when people just don't get it. Uh, we've explained the gospel so many times to, um, to that, that neighbor. Uh, and maybe they, they, they've been coming to um, the carol service for years uh, and they've even enjoyed coming to church with us. And, but they've just turned around and said, oh, not for me, thank you, not for me. It's tempting to be really cross, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you get it? It's so obvious. Or maybe we might be tempted to respond in, in a different way, in the opposite way. And when people reject us because of our message, it can be quite tempting to change the message. And uh, sadly, this is what uh, many churches are doing. They've seen that the gospel isn't all that popular anymore. And so they've decided to change the gospel. And they've, they've watered it down. They've made it easier for people to hear. And instead of uh, Jesus who, who dies on the cross for sinners, 
is just Jesus being kind of a nice guy. Amos doesn't change his message, does he? He's really courageous and he says what needs to be said. And we know that the message of Jesus hasn't changed. It's still the same as it always has been. We still need to be really clear with people about repentance and, and, and boldly telling them what happens if they don't repent. We need to be uh, bold and courageous like, like Amaziah, uh, like Amos is, um, but we, we mustn't resort to uh, frustration and, and anger and, and bitterness. Now, of course, our message is different to Amos's, isn't it? Fundamentally, Amos has this message of judgment on the people of God. But we have a message of hope, of, of, of gospel hope for, for people around us. Jesus was uh, rejected by many, and yet he never changes uh, the message. This message that he's been uh, called to by his father, and he's accused and he's slandered, isn't he? And, and people say, how dare you say that? You can't say that. But he, he doesn't change. Jesus is merciful and patient, isn't he? And on the Gospels, Jesus is constantly misunderstood and people kind of misunderstand him. They don't get what he's on about. Even his own disciples seem to kind of get him half the time. And, and the other time, they just don't, they don't get what he's talking about. But Jesus moves in, in love towards these people, isn't he? He's constantly gracious to people who just don't understand him. Maybe um, we really feel like uh, we've failed because people have rejected us and they've rejected our message. And we just feel really broken and devastated by that. Let's keep in mind that, that Jesus was absolutely perfect in, in proclaiming the message. He never said anything wrong. So often when, when we are trying to proclaim the message of God, we, we kind of get it wrong a bit and, then, and we feel, oh, I should have said this. I wish I'd said that. Jesus was perfect. He never got it wrong. And yet he was rejected, wasn't he? Ultimately, the reason that we are rejected is because they're rejecting Jesus. But there is good news. When, when people uh, just don't want to know, they don't want to hear um, the message of God, well, Jesus says, my spirit is with you and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. We know that Jesus is with us. But when they're rejecting our message, actually they're rejecting his message. And we know that that message is good, that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And Jesus has died and risen again. There is forgiveness for people, for us and for all who reject God. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and grace, that even as you look at the uh, sin of these uh, people, um, Lord, you are, are moved to, um, to kindness and, and mercy. Father, as you look at um, our sin and you look at um, all the different ways we've failed, Lord, we thank you that you are very kind and immensely merciful. Father, we pray you'd give us mercy and grace. Father, as we go off into... Um, different parts of, of Bristol this week, and as we um, seek to uh, live for you and honour you with our words and our actions. Um, Father, help us to 
uh, know uh, your peace and your joy. Help us to be um, persistent in proclaiming the gospel. Help us not to change the message. Help us not to be um, angry and frustrated when people reject it. Help us to, to trust you. Trust that you know what you are doing and that you are immensely good. In Jesus' name, amen.